My title this morning is Think on These Things. My text is just one verse, but there's a whole lot of Christ in this one verse. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, Think on these things. Think on these things. You know, there's a whole lot of things that we can think about in this world, isn't there? And I would warn each of us, be careful what you spend a whole lot of time thinking about. Because there's a lot of things that aren't worth any time at all, any of our time to think about them at all. People spend a whole lot of time today thinking about the political arena, don't they? And I would caution you, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, spend enough time that you can think about these things, that you can be an informed voter. And after that, don't give it another thought. Spend your, spend your time thinking about this. God's on the throne. He's on the throne. No matter who sits in the seat of power, our God's the one running this thing. So, you know, be an informed voter, but don't spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about those things. A whole lot of people spend a whole lot of time thinking about the breakdown, the moral breakdown in our society. And that's true. I can't argue against it. But don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. Don't, don't spend too much time trying to worry about it and how, what can be done to fix it. Because, listen, we can't legislate morality by the law. It just, it just won't work. Instead of thinking about how people should act, but they don't, spend your time thinking about Christ our righteousness, that we're perfect in him. There's a whole lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about what they can do or what they cannot do to prolong their life. Think about you know what they can eat or what they cannot eat to, to make them live longer. Now, Put enough time into thinking about your, you know, your body, what you eat, what you don't eat, how you exercise and things so that you feel better as long as you're here. Spend the appropriate amount of time thinking about it, but don't, don't waste your time trying to figure out and spend so much time trying to figure out how you can live one day longer than God's already given you. Now, why do I say that? Well, it's because what our Lord said in Matthew 6, verse 27, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Can't do it. So don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. Don't spend any more time. Just don't allow this world to have any more of your time than is absolutely necessary. Don't think about all the junk of this world. And if you quit thinking about the junk of this world, hopefully that'll free up our time to think about some of these blessed things that Paul lists in our text, things that we should think on. Now, in short, I just give you the Cliff Notes version of this verse 8, and then we'll look at it in a little bit of detail. Here's what the apostles telling us. Spend your time thinking on Christ. That's what he's telling us in this verse, just all these different aspects of Christ. Thinking on Christ, thinking on our Savior, thinking on our Lord, thinking on our master. That'll keep all the other things of this world in their proper perspective. 
Really? See, it's worth time thinking about some of those things, but it'll keep them in their bright perspective, won't it? So first, Paul says, think on this. Think on whatsoever things are true, are true. Now, I know every believer is troubled by false religion. And I would tell you that, now recognize false religion so that you can stay away from it. So that you stay away from it and you don't fall under its influence. But don't waste a lot of time thinking about it. Don't waste a lot of time thinking, well, this is what this one's doing wrong. This is what this one's doing wrong. This is what this is doing wrong. Doesn't that sound like the attitude of the Pharisees? Don't, don't spend so much time thinking on what's false. Spend your time thinking on what's true. Think on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the truth of God. Think on him. Think on how the character of God is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we see God is truly just, don't we? When sin was found on his son, the father was just, wasn't he? And put him to death for it. He didn't hold anything back. His unmitigated wrath for sin fell on his son because God's just. He's inflexibly just. And at the same time, when we see the justice of God in the sacrifice of Christ, you know what else we see? We see God is truly merciful and he's truly gracious to sinners. Here's how gracious God is to sinners. He slaughtered his son so that he could be gracious to sinners. Now that's grace, isn't it? That is true grace. In Christ, we see the true wisdom of God. God found a way to be just and still justify the ungodly. He did it through the sacrifice of his son as a substitute of his people. Look back at Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16. Verse 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Sin and iniquity can only be purged by mercy and truth. And the only place mercy and truth meet together is in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his sacrifice that he truly paid the price for the sin of his people so that God could be merciful to his people. You know, you think on that all you want. How God is both just and justifier through the sacrifice of Christ our Savior. In Christ, we see the true love of God for sinners. God must truly love sinners. If he made his son suffer the humiliation of being made flesh, so that he could be their representative. And if he made his son suffer everything that he suffered in his sacrifice for the sin of his people, if he suffered the full wrath of God for his people, boy, the father must truly love sinners. If he put his son through that in order to save them, he must truly love them. Now think on these things. I mean, think on that all you want. Think on the fact that Almighty God loves sinners. I tell you, it'll cause your heart to soar with worship 
in praise. Now the pain, the heartache, the trouble, the the difficulty of this life is still going to be there. It will be unchanged. But your heart is sore because of what you're thinking on. Because you're thinking on who God is. Think, Think on his the truth of who God is, his true love for his people. Think on true things. Think on Christ, who's the true bread from heaven. He's the one that gives life to our souls and sustains our souls by feeding on him. He's the true bread. Think on Christ, the true vine. We have life. We bear the fruit of the spirit by being joined to Christ through union with Christ. He's the true vine. Think on the whole word of God, all of it. This word is the truth of God. I know that because our Lord said it in his great high priestly prayer, John 17, thy word is truth. It is truth. It doesn't just say true things. It is truth. Think on the truth of God's precious promises to his people. There's, there's too many. There's too many. Let's just think on the, they're, they're, these things are true. God's not just saying that. This, this is true. Think on the glory of the Savior. It's only revealed in his book. I mean, you can see so many things. We had, had uh, dinner with Mike and Sandy Walker last night. Jan and I did. And they were telling us about their trip out west and all the things that they saw. Just breathtakingly beautiful. Oh, creation is beautiful isn't it it's marred by sin it's still beautiful think of that but I want to tell you where you see the real glory of the Savior is in his sacrifice for his people think on his glory don't think about your circumstances pain and anxiety and worry will lie to you it'll always tell you it's worse than it really is don't think about this world. Who's doing what to whom and everything's going on in this world. The world will lie to you. They'll lie to you. Everything in this world will lie to us if we think about it apart from the word of God. Look back at, at Psalm 119. Now I'm telling you, this is, this, is, this is good advice. Don't think about the world. Don't think about the pain. Don't think about the... The heartache of the, it's real. The heartache of the tribe. Don't think on those things. Think on the word of God. Think on the precious promises of God. That's exactly what our Savior did. When our Savior suffered, he didn't think about the suffering. He didn't think about the darkness and the pain of his suffering. He didn't think about the slander that he was enduring. You know what he thought about? He thought about the word of God. The precious promises of God's word. Let me show you that. Psalm 119, verse 23. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes, in your word. Thy testimonies, your word also, is my delight and my counselor. See, the Savior didn't think about everything he was suffering, did he? He didn't think about how mean everybody was being to him. Even as he suffered, he found delight because of what he was thinking on. He was thinking on the word of God, upon the precious promises of God. And the father had promised the son in the covenant of grace. When you suffer and you die to redeem this people, I'll accept them. That's what he was thinking about. And his heart soared, even though the pain was unabated. You see that? 
Now, I'm not saying, oh, just go have a positive mental attitude. You won't have any troubles. Now, that's just a lie. That's all there is to it. What I'm saying is this. We can't change our circumstances, but we can change what we think about while we're in those circumstances. And if we dwell more on our Savior and less on our circumstances, we'll find more peace of heart. That really is true. All right, number two, Paul says, think on whatsoever things are honest. Now that word honest means venerable. It means things that are honored, things that are revered. Now that can only be talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, can it? He's honorable because he's the son of God. He's revered because he is God. And you think about this one. He's perfect. He's holy. He's harmless, separate from sinners. Yet he condescends to save sinners. He condescends to eat with publicans and sinners. He condescends to receive publicans and sinners. He condescends, this one who's holy and harmless and undefiled, higher than the heavens, condescends to be the friend of sinners. <laughs> you see, in every way, in, in everything about his person and everything about his character and everything that he's done, the Lord Jesus Christ has earned the respect of his people. And this respected, venerated one is the friend and the savior of sinners. He's honorable. And part of what that means is he will never lie. He'll never lie. If he says your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. If he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't care how dark the night. I don't care how stormy the sea. I don't care the, the pain of the trial. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. He sees. He's there. If he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. His grace is going to be sufficient for the day because he can't lie. He's honorable and he's revered, isn't he? He's the object of our worship. We're careful even how we take his name on our lips. He's so revered. He's the object of our worship. And you know, we would never know how to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would never know that God can only be worshiped in our Lord Jesus Christ unless the Holy Spirit was pleased to reveal Christ to us. See, we'll, we'll think worship is all the form and the ceremony and the dressing up and the candles and the lighting and the music and all. We'll think that's worship until the Spirit reveals Christ to us. And when the Spirit reveals Christ to your heart, all that other stuff is just junk. The object of worship, the way we worship God is by worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. He's revered. And of all the people that the Lord could send his word to, of all the people in this world, even, let's not even talk about the world, let's talk about this tri-state area. Of all the people that the, that the spirit would be pleased to reveal Christ to, He's revealed himself in this place. 
I mean, I love y'all. I respect y'all highly, but I mean, you know, in the whole scheme of things, we ain't much. And Lord's been pleased to reveal himself here. And he's been pleased to keep his word being preached, his son being preached in this town for I don't know how many years now. Lost track. Every place doesn't have that. But God put it here. Oh, give thanks. Aren't you thankful? Think on that for a while. Think on the fact that the Lord has not left himself without a witness in this town, in a place where we can come and hear him preached. Now, I promise you, that'll make you thankful, even though your circumstances are unchanged. It really will. Then Paul says, think on whatsoever things are just. And the word means righteous or right. Again, this can only be talking about Christ our Savior, can it? He's the only righteous man that ever lived. In the message in Acts 7, verse 52, Stephen preached to the Jews. It made them so mad they stoned him. You know what Stephen, one of the things he told those fellas? He says, you betrayed and you murdered the just one. Capital J, capital O, a name. You murdered, you, you betrayed the just one. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one they murdered. He's the one they betrayed. He's the one they rejected. And his name is the just one. Well, that name translated just one, speaking of Christ our Savior, is the very same Greek word translated just in our text. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's the just one. Whatever thing is just, it's all in him. Think on him. His whole character is just. Now, here's the blessing for God's people in this. You know, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is just. He's the just one. He's the holy one. This just one is our Lord, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah said, Kenu, the Lord Jesus Christ has blessed his people to be made the righteousness of God in him, by him, not by our works, but by him, by his work for us. The Lord Jesus Christ made his people to be righteous the very same way Adam made his race to be unrighteous is by representation. <clears throat> See, we all did what our representative did. God sees all men in one of two representatives. Adam, the first man created, or the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And we all did what, what our representative did. When Adam sinned in the garden and opened rebellion against God, he took that fruit and ate it. We all sinned. We all became guilty. We all fell in him. It's not like we sinned in Adam. We did sin in Adam. We did what our representative did. And in the very same way, just the opposite, when the Lord Jesus Christ obeyed the law, all of his people obeyed in him. And they're made righteous because in Christ, we actually did obey God's law because we're in Christ when he obeyed. And I can show you that. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now these, these righteous, they sure didn't think they were righteous in their words, did they? Because they said, Lord, when do we do all this stuff? We, I don't remember doing all this stuff. You know why they didn't remember that? They weren't keeping score. They're not keeping track of their works to see how righteous that they are. But they are righteous because this is what the Lord calls them. Then shall the righteous answer him. The righteous. These people are righteous. And that word righteous in verse 37 is the same word translated just one in Stephen's message. And it's the same word translated just in our text. The Lord calls his people righteous and just. Then they are. Because God can't call something something it's not. He can only call things what they are. These people are righteous. They are just. They are without sin. Now, how in the world is that possible? It's through union with Christ. By Christ, our representative, we did everything he did because we're in him. Now, you think on that all you want. Even though all we can see about ourselves is sin. The righteous couldn't see anything that they did good, could they? They didn't see it. All we see about ourselves is sin, yet we are righteous in Christ. I only see that by faith in Christ. You think on that all you want. And you'll find, even though the, the trial is as bad as it's ever been, you're going to find less reason to fear it and more reason to have peace resting in Christ. You really do. <clears throat> and fourthly, Paul says, think on what sort of things are pure. And that word pure, it means pure from, from fault. And it means clean. Now again, this can only mean our Lord Jesus Christ. Start to see a pattern here? Everything he's telling us really is telling us, look to Christ. He's telling us some different aspect of the glory of our Savior and telling us, now think on him. Think on him. Think on the purity of our Savior. Everything about him is pure. His character is pure. His nature is pure and without sin. His love is pure. His wisdom is pure. His word is pure. And scripture says it's this word that purifies the hearts of God's elect. It's this word. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. It's Christ who makes his people pure. Pure through faith in him and pure by the new birth. Have a nature that's pure. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Seeing you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now how do you get this pure heart? Being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. 
by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. This word of God is the seed that the Holy Spirit uses to give life in the hearts of his people. You know, the first time we were born, we were conceived by the seed of our father. And the only thing he had to pass on to us in that seed was a sin nature. Because that's all he had. And we came out with that sin nature, didn't we? We came forth from the womb, speaking lies, giving evidence we had this sin nature. Well, when we're born again by the Holy Spirit, we're born from completely different seed. And the life that is produced by that seed completely depends upon the seed. The life is going to be just like the seed. This seed is pure. So the new nature, the new life that comes forth from this seed is going to be pure. Now again, if we look at ourselves, we're not going to see any evidence of purity by looking at ourselves. We look at ourselves, all we're going to see is sin and impurity. Yet God sees things as they are. However it is God sees them, that's how they are, isn't it? Well, God sees his people as pure in Christ our Savior. Now you think on that all you want. Your circumstances won't change, but your heart will be thrilled to think I'm pure before God, clean in God's sight. Then I like this one. Here's the fifth thing. Think on whatsoever things are lovely. The word means pleasing. Now again, see who this is talking about, don't you? It's talking about Christ our Savior. He's the one who pleased the Father. He, the Father is well pleased in him. The Lord Jesus Christ is so pleasing that all of God's elect are accepted in the beloved. The Father is well pleased with all of his people the same way he is with his son because they're all in his son. Now you think on that all you want. We would understand if God cast us out for our sin. I mean, for our repeated sin, the same thing over and over and over again. We would understand if God cast us out for our weak faith. How shameful it is after everything God's done for me, after everything he's brought me through, that the first little thing comes up and I doubt him. Shameful, 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 shameful. I don't understand if God cast me out, but he never will do it. You know why? He's well pleased with his son. See, his son is lovely. And if he's well pleased with his son, he's well pleased with everybody in him. God's not pleased with me because something I did or something I didn't do. God's well pleased with his people and his son because of what his son did. So think on that. Think on, on the, the lovely character, the pleasing character of Christ our Savior. He's altogether lovely to everybody that knows him. He's altogether lovely to the Father. He's altogether lovely to his people. You remember in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, how the Lord, our bridegroom, came. It was nighttime. He came to his spouse, and he called to her with, with sweet words. He called to her with, with uh, sweet nicknames, like a husband has for his wife. He called her, my beloved. He called her, my love, my dove, my undefiled. This is how he called to her, and she... Now, this is us. This is us. This is God's people. He called to her in these sweet names, these sweet pet, pet names, my beloved. You know what she said? I can't get up right now. 
It's late and I've already gone to bed. I'm just too tired to get up and let you in right now. I put off my coat, put off my, my robe. Maybe that's what she means. And I got down under these nice warm covers. And if I take the covers off, I'm, I'm going to get a chill. I've already washed my feet. If I get up out of this bed and walk across the floor to the door, my feet are going to get dirty. I just can't get up right now. And instead of just kicking that door in and giving her what's for, the Lord reached his hand in the hole of the door. And then he left. And oh, she smelled the myrrh. She smelled the sweetness of his hand. And she bounded out of bed to open that door to, to find her bridegroom. But he'd gone. Suddenly it didn't matter. She wasn't too tired now. She wouldn't, wouldn't be too cold now. She wouldn't worry about her feet getting dirty now. She went out looking for her bridegroom. Oh, the smell of him on that door. Just Oh, just the smell of him reminded her of oh, how much she loved him. She had to find him. And she goes out to the other daughters of Jerusalem and she says, have you seen my beloved? And they said, well, I mean, no, I, I haven't seen him. I'm not around here anymore. There's all these other fellows around. Why, why don't you, you know, find one of these other fellows? What is your beloved more than another? And she said, oh, let me tell you. And she started at the tip of his head and went down to the tips of his toes and described everything about him. It's so beautiful. It's so lovely. Everything. Oh, just, I mean, what a specimen he is. And this is the way she summed it up. He's altogether lovely. That's why he's my beloved. That's why I must have him. Now you think on this. Think on this all you want. That the Lord of glory, I mean, he's altogether lovely. He is so handsome. He's so beautiful. His character is so perfect. His love is pure and perfect. I mean, wow. Think about Boaz riding up to the field that day and there's Ruth. I mean, Boaz, oh my soul. I mean, he must have had thick, black, curly hair. He's on a white stallion. I mean, he dressed to the nines. I mean, his boots are shining. Oh, I mean, everybody saw him just, oh. He's so beautiful. Ruth never gave a thought of trying to date this man, much less marry him. This is a picture of our Savior. And he comes to his field. And every woman there wants to marry him. Every woman there wants to be his bride. Oh, he's something. And you know who he chose? He chose to save harlots. They're all used up. They're not worth anything anymore. The bloom of youth is gone and nobody wants them anymore. There's nothing left beautiful about her. No one but this one who's altogether lovely. He chose her and he took her to be his bride. The bloom of youth is gone. All of her beauty is gone. And he took his bride and made her beautiful in his beauty that he put on her. Oh, you think on that. Think on that. 
Then six, think on whatsoever things are of a good report. Now that good report is the gospel of Christ. The good report is the report that tells me who Christ is. And this report God's given us to preach. It sounds too good to be true. That's why it's, it's foolishness to the natural mind. The Lord, somebody hears the gospel and you're telling me, the Lord saves sinners who don't deserve it? I mean, they don't even have to contribute one thing to their salvation. They don't even have to take the first step. You, you mean to tell me that the Lord does it all for sinners who don't deserve it? You're telling me that the Lord makes his people to be perfectly righteous and then he doesn't even make them keep it, but he makes them righteous? That, that's too good to be true. I, there's no way I could be made just like the Lord Jesus Christ freely without any input from me. Well, it would be too good to be true if it depended on us, wouldn't it? But it's not too good to be true if our report is all on who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he's done for his people. Christ is the gospel. You, you can't narrow this down too narrowly. You can't get it too just down to a pinprick of light, narrow. It's all of Christ. It's all him. And we keep preaching it. We just keep preaching the same message over and over and over again. Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, asks, Lord, who's believed our report? I mean, it doesn't seem like I'm getting any results here. It doesn't seem like anybody's believing this. Who has believed our report? Well, I can tell you who's believed it. Everyone to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. The mighty right arm of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the Holy Spirit's ever pleased to reveal Christ to your heart, you'll believe this gospel. You'll believe this good report. Now you think on the gospel of Christ all you want. Don't think on the evening news. It's not good for your mental health. You want something that's good for your mental health? Think on the gospel of Christ. Just think on him. Then he says, think on things that are of any virtue. And the word virtue means moral goodness. Now again, this can only be talking about Christ in it. He's the one of moral virtue. Everything he does is good. And you know, it's good because he does it. Now, this is not pie in the sky doctrine. Talking about the, the look at Mark chapter five. This is not something that is, uh, is separate from our experience, separate from our day to day experience, separate from, from the life of a believer. This is not pie in the sky doctrine. The virtue of the Lord is vitally important to our salvation, to the, our spiritual healing, the healing of our wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. In Mark 5, we have the account of the woman with the issue of blood crawling up behind the Lord to touch the hem of his garment. She said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Verse 30. And she did it. She came and she touched the, the hem of his garment. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched me? You know why she was healed? Virtue. Goodness went from the Lord to his daughter. He called her his daughter. Through union with Christ, the virtue of Christ is in us. 
and it heals all of our spiritual wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, and we can never be lost again. All right, last. Think on things that are worthy of praise. Now, I am trying to sound like a broken record here. I'm trying to sound like a broken record so we get this. Everything Paul's telling us to think about here is just another aspect of Christ our Savior. This can this thing of talking about worthy of praise can only be talking about Christ. He's the only one worthy of our praise. And he's worthy of our praise simply because of who he is. I don't ever want to fall into the trap of praising the Lord only because of what he's done for me and only because of what he's given me. Because if I do that, if I only praise the Lord for, for what he's done for me and what he's given me, all my praise is about me, isn't it? I want to praise the Lord for who he is. Praise him for all of his perfect attributes. Praise him for his glory. Praise the Lord. He's worthy of praise because of the salvation that he accomplished for his people. Whether he gives it to me or not, he's worthy of praise for accomplishing it for his people. He's worthy of praise because he did not fail. He's worthy of praise because of his obedience to the law. Nobody else obeyed it. He obeyed it so perfectly he honored and magnified the law. He's worthy of praise for a sacrifice for his people. I want to praise him as much as I can. Because he's high above all praise. I mean, there's nothing about him that's not worthy of praise. And the Lord has promised to save all of his people, all of them. And all of their salvation is by, through, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why God did everything. This is a good reason to praise God. Praise our Lord Jesus Christ, because here's why God did everything he did regarding his people. Ephesians 1, verse 6. Here's why God did it all. This is, was the verse we looked at in our lesson this morning. Here's why God did it all. To the praise of the glory of his grace. That's why God did it all. So that his son would be praised. That's why. Now you just think on the Savior. You just think on reasons to praise him. You'll never run out. Just think on it. Just think of that all you want. And if you're doing that, you're thinking about all the reasons we have to praise our Savior. You're just not going to have very much time to think about reasons to feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> See that? We'll be a whole lot better off when we quit thinking about ourselves and start thinking about the Savior. Now, I'm not saying that the things that happen to us, the, thing the, Lord, the things that the Lord brings our way are, are insignificant and they don't truly, honestly affect us. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying... Thinking on the Savior puts all these other things in their proper perspective. So think on these things. Think on these things and you'll find peace for your souls. All right, let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank you that you would be pleased to reveal him to the hearts of your people by faith. And Father, I pray you'd cause us to think on him, to think on everything 
about him, to become less concerned with all the goings-on of this world and more concerned with thinking on Christ our Savior. He is worthy. He's worthy of our thought. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our adoration. Father, cause us to think on him, that we might find more peace, more rest, more calmness, more assurance for our souls. It's in the precious name of our Savior we pray and give thanks. Amen. All right.